0: This is exactly right.
1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Doctor Dan. I'm Doctor Dan, your host. And let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called Words of Wisdom from a Former Bad Mother. Don't you love that title? And we are going to be talking about our guest's new book called Parents Under the Influence. And that guest is Cecile David Weil, who is French and American, publishing her first novel called "Crush." And The Suitors, her third novel, was published by Other Press in 2013. She's a regular contributor to the online French news magazine, Le Pointe, with a column entitled Letters from New York. Cecile was born in New York, where she currently lives. Cecile, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Dr. Dan. Thank you very much for having me. I really love your, your podcast, so it's a treat.
1: Oh, thank you. I um. So there's just titles that just, of course, grab you and and then also, of course, speak of just truth, honesty and authenticity, and you just put it all out there by labeling yourself a former bad mother.
2: Yes. Well, in fact, um, my children joke about this and say... You're boasting. Why do why do you say former? So <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um the thing is, um I think as um as a parent, I think it's a constant preoccupation to think, am I doing right? Am I a bad parent, a bad mother, a good mother? And I know that this um, this uh, question has really obsessed me to an unhealthy point uh, because it led me, in fact, to be very much focused on myself and my flaws instead of looking at my children. And that um, happened to me one day. I... Stopped. I don't know for what reason. Probably one day, I really looked at my children. And it was well into my motherhood. My children, my elder child, my son was 14. So that's to say it's never too late. <laughs> because then, instead of focusing on myself, I suddenly looked at them, and I saw that they were not happy, mm. not thriving, and probably I was doing really things wrong. And uh, so that was the starting point of a real, you know, aha moment, Uh, not a happy one, but a Mm -hmm. a really very, very important one for me because I started thinking, uh, I have to find out where I got, where where did I go wrong? Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, to really think, um, yeah, what could I do to make it better?
1: What did you so So
2: that's
1: yeah, so that's a huge awareness, and not and, and as you said, a painful one. Um, yes, I can relate to that constant feeling of, Am I being a good parent? Am I being a good parent? And, um, there's so many involved parents these days that just want to do a great job and not only not mess up our kids, but we want our kids to be happy, and so there is all this pressure. So, to actually, and a lot of you know, a lot of us, I think just want it to be okay. But you had this moment where you're like, it's not okay. I got to do something different.
2: Exactly. Um, and it was very painful, also more that, uh, you know, as a young mother, I thought I was going to be a good mother. Uh, I thought I had everything, the love, the willingness to be, you know, good parents, the benevolence. I had, And I had put all my energy trying to be a good mother. So, you um, I thought, you know, um, then I started being a parent and I discovered it was more complicated than I thought mm-hmm. because, um, in fact, I felt I hadn't the free will that I thought I should have. For instance, um, I, I realized I wasn't really in control of what I was doing. For instance, um, when I wanted to be firm with my children, Uh, I often ended up cuddling them. Mm -hmm. And when I wanted to be patient and understanding, I ended up yelling at them. Mm -hmm. So that was a very disquieting way of discovering that I was not in charge, Mm -hmm. that probably my emotions were. But at that point, I was so distressed by this discovery and so afraid of being, in fact, a bad mother that I only compared myself to others, tried to do my best, and in fact, um, try to act as a good mother. Since I thought probably I was flawed and I didn't do things right, I was a little ashamed and I couldn't really talk about it with other people because as soon as I said, you know, I think I'm a bad mother, Um, the people I I was talking to said, no, no, of course you're not. And of course, they were right. I wasn't the bad person harming shamelessly my children on purpose, Mm -hmm. but I was having bad results. And that's why I was a bad mother. And I was probably a bad mother because I was trying too hard to be a good one, which is unfair, but it is true that the road to hell can be paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so that's um, one of my first mistakes, I think, was not to stop at first at that impression of being a bad mother and of not being in control, but just putting my distress in the back of my mind mm-hmm. and, in fact, playing the part, the role of a good mother you know, faking it until I made it,
0: and nice. I nice. didn't
2: realize that children are not at all—they uh, can't be fooled—and mm-hmm. they read us. Mm-hmm. They feel everything uh, in a visceral way, and they felt I was faking it. And in fact, they thought I was faking my love for them. Oh. In fact, when, when my younger daughter said to me. Mommy, why do you pretend loving us and uh, loving us? And that was, oh, terrible. Mm-hmm. And when I realized after, once I have been, you know, I have been after that moment of realization, I, I tried, um, I, I began a long journey trying to understand. So I read, I met shrink psychiatrists. I, I, I really did a big work that. You know, that brought me to write this book, uh, because mm-hmm. it was 15 years of, of thinking and, and reflection. Mm. But, um, the moment when they said, you're, you know, you're pretending to love us, I realized that in fact, um, it, it, children read us so well that it's no use to pretend anything. Right. And that in fact, I wasn't. Doing what I thought was going to make them, you know, uh, balanced to have a, mm-hmm. a mother that was doing everything right. That, in fact, the relation, the silent relationship, um, between a mother or parent and children is far more important than the one that is Said and the yeah. words and the gestures that I was doing mm-hmm. could be good
0: mm-hmm. when they
2: were because they weren't always good, but when even when they were, it 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 didn't do what I thought it would do. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: It didn't quiet them. On the contrary, right. and also it gave them. Um, an example, a very bad example, of uh, someone who is disconnected from its true, uh, a true nature. My true nature, which was to be anxious and not to know, not knowing what I was doing, and in fact behaving in a kind of self-sacrifice way, forgetting myself, my own goals, mm-hmm. to try and do my best in a in a very erratic way, and it wasn't
1: a good example. Mm-hmm. And I want to pull apart two two themes of what you just um, what you just shared with us. On the one hand, how important it is for us to be authentic and real, and our kids know when we're not, right? So it'd be nice if we could fake it to make it, but most of the time, particularly as our kids get a little older, it doesn't work, and mm-hmm. so they get confused. And in many ways, they'd rather have our real angry, anxious self than our pretend happy everything's fine self because that's just going to make them feel anxious, like something's wrong. So that authenticity is so important. And the other thing that you said, which I want to highlight, is that like most of us, you came into parenting with the idea that I'm going to be a great parent because I am going to love my kids. And we know that love is foundational for healthy attachment, for security, for confidence, for loving oneself and one loving other. However, love is not enough because, you know, to say this harsh reality, parents who love their kids abuse their kids. And it's not because they don't love them, it's because of whatever has happened in their life, whatever the circumstances are, they still harm their kids. And so we need to do so much more than just love. We need to be aware. And you set out on this journey in all of the offices and couches and reading and all you did to, it sounds like, become aware, particularly as I read um, in your work of past traumas and experiences and how that comes into our parenting.
2: Yes, exactly. And in fact, to, to rewind a little bit about um, the fact that you can't fake it, the nice and the good news that I found out is that you don't need to be perfect. You don't Mm-mm. need to be uh, everything wonderful as long as you're real, um, because it allows also your children to be not perfect as well. Uh, Otherwise, we're all pretending to try to to be perfect, and we can have a real communication. So that was kind of a relief, and. Uh, I'm saying that because I thought that if I were to go and dig in into my own imperfections, I was going to only find out that it was worse than I thought. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was the opposite. The more I digged to find out what I was going, what I should do, it was only good news. It was only being more what I was in a true way and it was less difficult than what I had tried to achieve. Mm. So, and about love, it's true. I mean, we have those common beliefs about love, and the the the, the thing is, we know from other relationships that love is not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a marriage, in a passionate relationship, we know that we can be abusive, we could be harmed, we can be harmful, and that love is not enough. And, but I think. As many people, I was so afraid of this idea that um, then if we are um, being um, sensitive to hidden emotions also in parenting, like we are in our love life and all those things being related to our past emotions in childhood, then it's very disquieting because for me, Being a parent was the most grown-up thing I could do, (laughs) and so we were supposed to be in charge, in control, and mastering everything. Whereas, of course, parenting is, as the rest of life, subject to our story, uh, what happened to us, and in fact. I knew a bit of that. I knew, I mean, I knew that I, I was I was aware that unconscious uh, mind, had. you know, was something that was going to play a role. But then I didn't realize to what extent. And also, I thought I had found a really perfect solution for this. Mm. I thought that doing the opposite of my parents, what I didn't like about their bringing, was going to be enough for me to not reproduce what harmed me as a child. Mm. And this is something that I really went, I, I, I did interview lots of people for this book, and as mm-hmm. I said, it was a 15-year kind of a, a journey. And I, I really met a lot of parents who, like me, did uh, this kind of, in a very solemn and secretive way, you know, promised themselves uh, like in a vow, a solemn vow, no, not to do um, not to do the things that had been uh, harming them as kids
1: right and right.
2: Um, in fact um, in fact it doesn 't work no it, <laughs> it doesn 't work,
1: work. No. no
2: first of all it 's very difficult to achieve this because it is the unconscious mind that is actually very often uh ruling us mm-hmm. uh in our knee jerk reactions when we are in reactive modes it's really not our very bright and uh, thoughtful person who has been reading all these wonderful books about parenting it is really the wounded child in us that often is the person reacting so it is very difficult Mm -hmm. and to achieve and even when we try we think we are doing the opposite in fact it's probably not a good idea for instance I um I was a my parents were a, a generation of French parents who didn't really value being there a lot for their kids you know they were busy and it wasn't um, the generation where they actually you know realized the actual parent footprint as you would put it you know
0: yeah,
2: right. uh, that we have a, as as parents on the child so they were very kind and everything but they were not very much present in my life so i figured Okay, I'm just gonna do the opposite and I'll be there constantly with my children. Well, the more I can, because of course I I had a job also, but the more I could. Right. And in fact, what I realized much later was that it wasn't a good idea because In fact, I didn't know how to be with my kids because I hadn't had this example when I was a kid of being and interacting with my parents and bonding with them. So I didn't really know what to do with my kids. And in fact, I was with them, but I was not engaged. Mm. And so they felt as lonely as if I wasn't there. So in fact, I reproduced the exact same thing as my parents with the opposite strategy, but in fact, I reproduced it as well. So this wonderful idea that I thought I had to do the opposite was in fact a total dead end. And at one point, hopefully, I had to look into this.
1: Which is a huge awareness, right? Like that is a huge awareness. And you just outlined so beautifully the process of increasing our own awareness and how it actually happens, how we are always our parent, how we were parented always impacts how we parent, whether we do the exact same, whether we do the exact opposite or whether we take a little of this and we do and a little of this and we don't. It's all based on what we liked and what we didn't like. And then we make assumptions that this is what's going to be good for our kids However, the next thing that you did along the, along the road here, which I just want to highlight because it's so important, is you actually took an inventory and you saw, you looked at data, and in this case, it might have been the data of the looks on your kids' faces, their emotions, their, how much they were thriving or not thriving, and you said, wait a second, I did the opposite. It's not working. I need to figure out what to do differently and why.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know the 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 first step for that was, as you say in your podcast, self awareness. And I was not—I didn't think self awareness was part of the job as a parent. I never would have thought that, because for me it was about doing right, doing things right. It was not about knowing myself or or acknowledging what had what had been. Difficult for me in my childhood because, like many people who were not really abused in a, in a spectacular way, um, I didn't. I thought I was indul. I would be indulging if I looked at my past uh, and say, "Oh, poor thing, you were not that happy." But you know, compared to all the suffering in the world and everything, I was. I, I didn't think it was. It was a good way to go, and I didn't think it was an adult way to, 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 to go. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, you know, I saw, like everybody else, like a movie like Citizen Kane, or the guy is almost becoming president, but at the end of his life, he's only talking about the rose, but the inscription on his sled, childhood sled. Mm-hmm.
0: But in mm-hmm. fact, I
2: didn't think, I didn't think that um, my childhood, I had to. And uh, you know, analyze uh, the grip my childhood had on myself, because in fact, the suffering doesn't resist to the actual analyze of what happened to you. And it it doesn't mean you should say anything to your parents who did their best. Right. They, they, it's not about you know uh, pointing fingers and saying that was bad. It's about really acknowledging. Abuse, even if it's subtle or, you know, not much. And one of the abuses that I found out about writing when I wrote this book and interviewing people and and, uh, psychiatrists, and one of very subtle ones could be things like parents who, um, you know, project an image uh, of a happy kid or very good student or... uh, or, or any kind of image, even if it's a positive one, and maybe especially also if it's a positive one, it's a more tricky thing, because then the kid um, doesn't really, uh, is not confident when you say that, because he he knows it's not true. It's not the qualities that he actually has. Mm-hmm. It is unrelated to him, uh, to that kid or her, and in fact, it makes that kid feel, uh, insufficient and, um, it's really, it's really a, a kind of a, 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 an abuse that I wouldn't have thought of before doing that research. So mm-hmm. no wonder that if that could be difficult, all kinds of things that All our parents did and we did as parents, which is a little bit more like yelling uh, in a car when nobody is doing anything wrong or those things can be a little traumatic. And it's, it's the first step was for me to, to look into this and look into what I had suffered from, realizing that in fact, I was totally reproducing. And the, the car thing is absolutely what I did. I mean, I I don't know why, but I kept being really upset when my children were loud in the car, which wasn't really bad, but it hit a nerve or something, and I probably yelled at them until one day I realized that's exactly what my father did with me in the car.
0: Ah. And the
2: moment I realized this, um, I... It changed everything because uh, suddenly I could recognize when I was doing this. Oh, that's I'm doing what my father was doing, and then I could come. I, I tried to come up with alternative behavior, like what could I do instead of yelling? After all, they're not doing anything wrong, and little by little, I I did manage to change and actually um, have fun with them. Trying to find what could be the best way for them to quiet down because I didn't like them being loud. So acknowledging that I didn't like them being loud, even if it's not, I mean, it was like that. Mm -hmm. And, and it could be changed. And that is so hopeful because when you, you know, when you caught yourself, catch yourself being unfair and doing the same exact things, that your parents did right. you're so disquieted, you think you'll never you'll never turn it around. And the the thing about this book I'm so happy about, it is because it's really hopeful. Because mm-hmm. if I could do it, I yeah. mean everybody could. Yeah. And I'm happy I did because, you know, I really nearly missed out on the joys of being a parent and raising my children well. So it really was a big deal.
1: And you did turn it around. You you had adolescence, and you did turn it around. That's the hope.
2: I did, and I, I even think now that even if the, the, the my children were adults, I could have still changed a great deal about what I did wrong. And of course, I apologized, which is an w- amazing tool mm-hmm. because then I didn't need to be perfect. I just needed to acknowledge what I was doing wrong. And apologized, and so they knew they were not the, the culprits; they were not those who were doing anything wrong. when I was yelling in the car because they were loud, they were just loud. I was the disturbed one who found it horrible, so it didn't, it really did put them off, off the hook, and so they knew they just had a, a you know a difficult mother, which is very different from being guilty of something or being bad kids, mm-hmm. which most children think when they're being scolded.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there, we are living in a world of worry and anxiety. I mean, it really is an epidemic these days, and for lots of very valid reasons. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on um, in our country, around the world, and it it oozes, unfortunately, and understandably to our kids. And you you say something in your book that I, I want us to spend a little time on because so many of us as parents are dealing with worry and anxiety. And in terms of this concept of love, you talk about despite you know common thought, worrying is not a form of love.
2: No, exactly. And I really it was really a surprise for me to discover this because um, of course, it expresses uh, your concern for your children to be worried. So you think it is linked to love, and that probably it is love. And also, you have around in our society, it is really valued to be worried for your kids to the point that when you don't, you're considered as bad parents or unconscious parents, and... Um, so it is also something that is valued as as a testimony and of a proof of your sense of responsibility as a parent, so both internally and externally, you are pushed in that direction of worry mm-hmm. and even if you can 't really help being worried that I know I've experienced it but it is very different when you know you're doing something that is wrong for your kids than when you think you're expressing love and you can when I realized I had to put a handle on my worry because it was actually harmful to my kids and I understood why it changed everything because of course I continued to worry but I didn't express it's so much, or I, it's, I, I apologized when I got a little bit too far in my worry, mm-hmm. which is also very different. And the, the way I understood how worry could be bad is when I understood that, in fact, children sense our state of mind more than what we say, and uh, as I did experience myself when they told me, why do you pretend to love us? Um, so they actually feel um, the negative emotion of worry, and they think it is because they are not capable of o- overcoming whatever is worrying you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So they think that our, they are, in fact, responsible For this worry, and they become also very anxious if, um, to understand that we don't believe in them. We don't believe they're able to walk up a staircase when they're very little or to, you know, uh, go to school on their own when they're whatever age we decide they should. Um, -hmm. and it is, in fact, the worst even is not only that they believe that they are not enough and they're not doing things right since we are afraid for them, but also it makes them fail, which is really horrible. Um, For instance, in my book, I talk about a father who um, is uh, in fact uh, very worried about his son not going to uh, you know, do well at his exams. Um, And that son of his was a super good student. So people around him didn't realize, didn't understand why he was so worried. But the thing is, um, the son ended up failing because it it was, of course, very weird in a rational way, but very understandable in a psychological way. Because we are the same. If I have a project and I go to a friend and ask that friend, what do you think about my project? Mm -hmm. And that friend only expresses worries. I am probably not going to do it or do it it badly. But if I find someone who is really very uh, understand, understand the project and in fact encourages it, it gives me all the chances of succeeding. And it's the same for children. So Feeling that worry is something you should really monitor closely. That's what I understood. And in fact, it is true that it works much better for kids when you – sometimes I have tests to not see my children, even when they're now grown-ups, not to, to express my my worry because right. I, I know I'm capable of transmitting that bad right. – <laughs> and it could harm them.
1: Yes, and that's the message for everyone to hear is that we have to be aware of our own anxiety because when we have a worry about our child walking downtown by themselves or walking over to a friend's house or riding their bike or taking the public transportation by themselves. Now, of course, all of these have caveats with, you know, what where, where's your geographic region? What time of day is it? How old is your child? How, what is their developmental age? All that is there. But what we don't realize is with our worry, real or not real, based on circumstances. Yes. We are giving them messages that they c- we don't think they can do it, they probably shouldn't think they should do it either, and the world is kind of a scary place. Right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and you know, I did all those mistakes, and my children ended up anxious, anxious that I wasn't telling them the truth about what I was feeling, anxious about my worry. And so... Oh. All the love I had, um, didn't really, uh, you know, didn't really, it was not enough to compensate all that anxiety I was giving them without knowing. Mm
0: -hmm. So, Mm
2: -hmm. um, so the wonderful thing is that, uh, the minute you realize, um, Things can change dramatically. Mm-hmm, <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. I experience, and it's quite magical. Because, as I said, you don't need to change really everything. It's enough that you apologize when you're not changing and saying it's your own struggle.
1: Yes, yes. And again, that's the hope, everyone. It's, really, it's not too late. It's never too late. Just becoming aware working on yourself, sharing this with your child, apologizing, changing a behavior that's authentic, that sticks just as much as the other ones that you're trying to slowly vanish or go be, be an earlier part of the story. And um, the, the other thing that this is leading me to is asking you about how you view independence, you know, fostering independence as you talk about on their developmental schedule. And this is a thing these days, too, is like how, you know, kids are growing up slower. Kids who have um, neurodiversity also have their own timelines of um, independence. How do how do you view all of that?
2: Well, it's true that there again, we have the internal anxiety and then we have the external pressure. That is, how come your, your son, your daughter is not doing this yet or whatever? And it's also anxiety that that pushes us to be proactive and to think that we are the ones who have to who has to do the whole um, parenting thing without listening to the input of our child, and it's something that has be has to be done with them because they own all, all have their own pace, as you said, their own abilities and their own ideas. So, for instance. Um, some, some, some children really, um, they bloom late <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they could be, uh, they could be really leading us to a lot of, uh, anxiety. Like, um, I don't know. What if my daughter never gets to have children because she doesn't want to engage in a love life and she is 30? Uh, or, um, or do you think that you know my son um, it doesn't work at school, and he is going to have trouble having good grades to do the good thing for the college and everything? So, and the thing is, the only thing I, 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 I learned is that you have to wait for them to be um, to be interested, to want, what you obviously would want them to do, which is to to flourish. So you you have to let them be in their own pace and their own ideas, which is, in fact, very different than what you would have thought of. And um, it is true that as a parent, we tend to be, of course, super benevolent, very bright. Uh, we know a lot of things, so we, we think we are right. Yes. But it's not, because we want them good, that we are right. And I mean, as most parents, I wanted my children to be doctors, lawyers. And in fact, um, you know, the the two friends of mine I have in France that have succeeded the most, one is a landscaper who started as a gardener Mm -hmm. and the other one, in shoes and ended up being a huge shoe shoe brand. Mm -hmm. So, you you don't know what it is that your child is going to want and choose, and and, and when and
1: and, we, and so we need to separate ourselves from that process as well, correct?
2: Exactly, and that is super painful, yeah. and it is much more painful and difficult than actually offering them um, different internship things and intervening constantly for them to be in the right path that we think they should have, because doing so, we we quiet our anxiety, but we're not doing things right by them. So it is more difficult to to stay with our own anxieties, like I hope my daughter is going to end up having a kid at last, if I want to have grandchildren, and I want her to have a, you know, a, a full life. And but then I have to not be sure, and I have to step back, and I have to, um, you know, to just hope for it. And usually the thing which is nice is that when we did our role as parents and we did transmit everything that we had to transmit during the bonding that I ended up knowing how to do with a little bit of uh, lesson and effort, then usually they are not totally different of what we thought we wanted for them. Even if they are doing not the, the kind of, uh, of job that we thought in maybe in a different country, they are the person that we wanted. Um, you know, they are, if we have the idea that our children have, must have values, they are not going to turn out as horrible person. They may be not what we thought they would be, but they are persons with values, and that's the most important.
1: Absolutely. The values that are the most important. And and I often talk about in my office and in giving talks is the difference between the forest and the trees. And we are often caught up in those trees that get out of bed, do your chores, do your homework. And really the forest is these larger issues like what's important to you, what's important to the family? Are we raising compassionate people, you know, people who feel valued, who have confidence, who have empathy for others? And we just get lost it seems mm-hmm. in the day-to-day exactly. grind of life. Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly, and that is when another thing that really relieved me so much is to think that I should only pick my battles and after I have set my priorities, I didn't have to have perfect kids that did everything good the homework the 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 the, the food organic and the very good uh, uh, room um everything being very tidy you have to choose you can't have perfect children, so you have to choose what is important for you them to be and to, to, to do. And, and that's
1: enough. Yes, you guys, you hear that? That is enough. It's a relief. It is a relief. And so to reiterate, <laughs> you don't have to be perfect. If you were able to achieve that thing that is not achievable, that would actually not be good for your kids. You need to be human. You need to know that you're going to yes. make mistakes. You need to know that it's never too yeah. late. And sometimes yeah. enough is enough. We just need to be Exactly, exactly. Hope, and hope, and yeah. we need
2: to have a, a life that we are happy with because, yes, because yes. we lead by example. And if we're miserable in whatever we do, thinking that we're doing the right thing, but we are terribly uh, unhappy, it, it really isn't a good lesson. And it shows because usually they do the same.
1: Exactly, which you just sort of just consolidated parent footprint so wonderfully, and I I love that, just the idea of who we are matters, what we do matters, and the energy we bring to our lives matter, because just like you found, you didn't even realize, you were doing what your parents were doing in the car and yelling at your kids. You didn't even realize you were copying that thing that you actually never liked. It's just kind of, we, we get this through osmosis from our parents. We pick up on these things, and we are going to replicate them unless we can be purposeful and intentional. And that leads us right to the Parent Footprint Moment question, Cecile. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) So tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as a parent or an individual and this new awareness had a positive impact on your child.
2: Well, in fact, this whole book mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah. is, is exactly that. Yeah. It is the result of my uh, the moment where I realized my children were not happy. But to be more precise, because I had a few, as I was telling you about my children asking me if I was pretending to love them. But one moment that I was really ashamed of and that really feel horrible, but led to a wonderful um, outcome is i i always loved music and i you know and i said to my children i love music and they were um they were doing uh sing my son was singing in a choir and i in fact um i went to listen to him and he was very happy about that but the thing is i i was probably um I like music, but I probably didn't like what my son was singing because I didn't find he was Pavarotti or something. But I pretended that what he was doing was wonderful, which is not a good thing to do. And when I was at that concert from the choir, I felt asleep, mm. and he was and I was on the first row, and he was watching me, oh. and I can't tell you it was. So terrible for me because I was caught really being a bad parent. And I was so ashamed and I was really terribly sad to have, uh, you know, made him sad. Mm -hmm. But then I realized after that that it was all about me being ashamed of myself, Mm -hmm. all about me being ashamed of not, you know, of not doing the right thing. And in fact, um, not being true that in fact I couldn't care less if he was taking music because I didn't think he was made for this or he particularly liked it. And it was not the right, it was not the right interaction. It wasn't real. It wasn't true. And so at that point I thought, let's stop, let's stop trying to do everything like it's supposed to be
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in your mind because it's, it was just in my mind. And it it helped me tremendously. All the things that I did wrong at one point hit me like to make me on the right path to go to change and mm-hmm. to acknowledge that I was I was really I was I really needed a big, a big change. Mm
1: hmm that is a whole lot of awareness that i mean you were processing a whole lot of awareness and thank you for processing it because not only of course the benefits for your children and your own life but now all of us can benefit from your knowledge um that you're imparting to all of us and it's just such an honest real and um just for everyone to be able to say like hey I can grow. I can change. And it's not too late. And it's okay for us to not do things well and to make a mistake and to say, you know what, I blew it. And, and thank you for that story. Because right, that's like a parenting's nightmare, right? Front row. <laughs> here we are to be great parents and support our kids and be excited. And yeah, and that's not what happened. And it was a, uh, one of the many turning points. So everyone, you need to check out this book, Parents Under the Influence, Words of Wisdom from a Former Bad Mother. And not only will you feel good about yourself, you will gain wisdom on so many different topics about how to spend time with your kids, how to foster independence, how to have your own time, right? How to manage your worry, how to be aware of your own childhood and the impact it has on your parenting. Just a wealth of knowledge, Cecile, tell everyone where they can find your book and um, follow your work.
2: Oh, that's very nice. Uh, I have a website that is ceciledavidwild.com and otherwise any good bookstores and of course all the uh, internet um, places where you could buy uh, the books. And uh, and that's it. Uh, right. I'm usually a novelist, so it's my first time uh, you know, in cursing and going to parenting and and so um, I'm not. It's not a lesson that I could give further. I put all my heart in this, yeah. and I really hope it could help. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for doing it for all of us, and thank you for being on the show today and sharing uh, your experiences with us. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much, Doctor Dunn. Thank you. It was wonderful talking with you. Thank you.
1: That concludes our show for today, everyone. Listen to Cecile's words. You don't have to be perfect. It's never too late. You can do this being real, being authentic, being honest with your kids and listening to your kids and what they want and what they tell us. As always, try to be that person you want your child to become. They're always watching, they're always listening, and they are always absorbing our energy. You know where to find us, www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to our website, tell others about it, and help us with the mission to create a more loving and compassionate world, one parent and one child at a time. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?